learn there's a lot of hurting people, a lot of defeated people, a lot of people who feel like their lives don't matter. But I'm going to tell you something. God needs you. God needs you. Let that sink in. God needs you. Right? I mean, because the Scripture tells us that the harvest is what? But the laborers are what? Few. He needs you. I need you. You need each other. We, the body of Christ needs every single person. That means, listen, that means you're valuable. I've been pounding that in you guys for years now. But you are valuable. You've got to see it. You are not defeated. You are overcomer, right? You are victorious because of Jesus, right? And if the laborers are few, that means there's not enough churches. And I hear this all the time. And people around Alabama, they think because we do have church on just about every corner, go to the other states. It's not the case, right? There's not enough churches. There's not, I mean, just think about it for a minute. You know, I like statistics, and you look at the number of Christians and, and just everybody that claims that has taken the, the title of Christian. Now, they may be saved, and they may be getting out of here, but are they doing what God's called them to do? Are they fulfilling their purpose? Well, that's, to be, that's a sermon for another day. But, but when you look at the number of Christians in this world, and then you look at the number of the lost... And, you know, we all like to sound churchy and, sound, and say the, the, the churchy thing to say, and we want the next big revival. We're, oh, we're praying in the next big revival. But, guys, listen, if, we, if the big revival came today with the number of churches that are in existence in the United States alone, I'm just using that as an example, when you look at the number of the churches versus the number of lost, if all of those people turned and came to God tomorrow, we couldn't house half of them. We couldn't house just a little under 50% of them would make it if they filled every pew and every chair. What does that mean? That means you're valuable. That means if there's not enough churches, that we need, the church needs to be growing pastors, needs to be growing teachers, need to be growing apostles or prophets. They need to be growing up volunteers. They need to be growing up media teams. They need to be growing up singers. They need to be pushing people into their potential so that we can reach this lost and dying world for Jesus and reestablish the kingdom, as Michelle was talking about just a minute ago. See, God needs you, and He doesn't need you just to be broken and defeated. Right? I know we've all felt that. I know I came out of the world because I know exactly how that feels. But God knows, see, when you get Jesus, that all changes, and that's where the victory comes from, right? When you accept Jesus, He, he needs you to finish what He's called you to do. We, and guys, we need you. And if God needs you, I need you, right? And if, if, if Jeremy needs you, Keenan needs you, Keith needs you, we all need one another. We need you to do our part, your part. Because I'm going to just tell you something. You want to know why as ministers, well, one reason why ministers, we always push people to do their part, to step in their potential. Of course, it's because we want people to see what, to be doing what God's called them to do, but... Really, naturally speaking, we do it because it makes our job easier. <laughs> I mean, I'm just being real, you know, because the more people we get doing their part, it does make it easier. And there's a lot of ministers that feel like, not me, but there are a lot of ministers that feel like they're doing, they're carrying the load, right? We need the body of Christ to start being what we're called to be. 
that means doing our part. That means, hey, don't be checking out of here too soon, right? That means don't be dying off to get out of work. I know some of y'all do some things just to do anything to get out of work, but don't be dying. You know, I got saved, so I'm out of here. You know, I don't need to do anything else. Just take me out of here. I'm out of here. Don't be dying off now, right? And I say that jokingly, but I'm, I, do, I do mean it, right? Don't be dying off. That means don't be leaving this world early. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch on something that, that I dealt with with a gentleman last week. And, and he, um, I want to make sure you guys understand this because it's very important. And he was sharing with me, had a death in his family. And the words out of his mouth were, well, I guess God just needed another child in heaven. All right? God didn't take his child. God's not in the business of taking you out of here. You, and if we've been taught that, and I hear a lot of people say these things, mainly at funerals, and they're quoting Hebrews 9.27, but it's a misquote. They're saying, well, God has a, they say, God has appointed a time for you to die. But that's a misquote. Go read it. It says, God has appointed a time for you to die one time. Right? Now, he knows the time that you die. But he's not in the business of taking you out of here. Who wants to serve a God when you don't know what in the world is going to happen and you're just wandering around serving him, doing what he wants you to do or what he's telling you to do, wondering, is this going to be the day he takes me out? Is this the day he... he is it? And a lot of people will believe, is this the day he's going to wrap my car around a tree? Is this the day that I'm going to get shot for Jesus? Is this, say, God's not in the business to take you out of this world. Amen? He's... You... And I used to believe that. As a, young, as a young Christian, I wasn't real sure about it. But I got a hold of Psalms 91, and I encourage you to get a hold of Psalms 91 because you've got a plan and a purpose. God's not taking you out when you fulfill that plan and a purpose. He'll move you from one season to the next season to something else. You are not, he's not in the business of getting you out of here. He wants you here to fulfill what he's called you to do. Amen? And then some because he has a kingdom to reestablish, right? But... Psalms 91, I'll never forget when I got a hold of this. I was reading it. It says, and it, it says with long life I will I satisfy him. With long life will. I started meditating on that. I started reading that. And before long, I looked up and I thought, oh my gosh. I realized God has called me for a plan. And God has called me for a purpose. And I realized I'm not done until I'm satisfied. I'm not finished until I'm satisfied. That, so what does that mean? That means that I will not quit. I will not be defeated. And I'm here until I'm satisfied. Nothing from this world or from this enemy is going to take me out of here. Glory to God. I will stay and I will finish what I'm called to do. I'm not going out from a sickness. I'm not going out from a pandemic. I'm not going out from a crime. I'm not going out from an accident. Absolutely not. I am staying and I am going to finish. I'm going to complete what I'm called to do. Glory to God. See, God's not trying to take you out. He wants you to finish what you, what he's called you to do. He wants you, a lot of times, he's wanting you just to start what he's called you to do. Now, you know, a lot of people don't don't believe this, and that's okay, but you study the Scripture. Rightly divide the Scripture. Just study God's nature, and you'll understand it. That's not in His nature. He is good. The enemy steals, kills, and destroys. Amen? Accidents happen in this world because death came in when Adam created high treason and gave everything over to the devil for this, for this time on earth. Right? That's when death, and when that death and sin came into the earth, guess what? Death happens to good people, bad people, because this world is now broken, 
right? And God's not, God's not up there trying to take you out. Proverbs 9.11 says that wisdom will extend your life. And if you go on and you study it out and you look in the psalm, and the psalmist say those that live by the blood will only live half of their life. That means those that are going out there killing and fighting and all of this. Going, what does all that mean? That means that there are some things that you can do to shorten your life, and there are things that you can do to lengthen your long life, add to your life. Amen? And it all depends on whether you're satisfied. I remember it reminds me of Hezekiah. You know, most of you know the story. God sent his prophet Isaiah to his house. Sent him in his house. And, I mean, you know, Isaiah walks in, and, you know, I'm paraphrasing because it makes it easier to understand, but Isaiah walks in and he tells Hezekiah, he says, Listen, God said, get your stuff in order, bro. You are done. Your time is finished. You're it. Now, this is, Isaiah, this is the prophet. This is the man of God in the, day, in the day. Now, what did Hezekiah do? He took his eyes off of the prophet and what was being said, and he turned to the wall. And he just immediately went to praising God. He went straight to God, straight to repent, repenting, crying out to God. Now, Isaiah was done. He had done what he told to do. And he's leaving. He's on his way out of here. He said, all right, I told him, bro, he's saying, you out of here. When God's time, you're, you're, you're out of here. But God stopped Isaiah. He said, all right, you go back and you tell him. I've heard his cries. I've heard his prayer. And tell him I'm adding 15 years to his life. What does that mean? That means that there are things that we can do to take from or to add to our lives. Amen? Glory to God. We are talking about victory in Jesus, but we're going to get to that here in just a second. But listen. So I know somebody is sitting out there thinking, guys, Pastor, that's awful bold. How can you make a statement like that? How can you stand there and make that declaration? And this is where we're going. Because, see, understanding the victory you have in Jesus, you can make that statement. Because I'm not ruled by this earth. I'm ruled by who I am in Christ. And understanding what Jesus did on that cross. Now, I know we talk about that all the time, but I think a lot of people, it just goes over their head. And they don't really realize what exactly he did on that cross. What did it do for us? A lot of people don't really know. I mean, don't take the time to study it. But it was very, very... But listen, if you want to live in that boldness, and you should be living in that boldness every single day, then you better... This is the first thing you... Well, the first thing you've got to understand is we serve a good God. And that's self-explanatory, all right? That's, just look at this world, all right? I don't, don't focus on the bad. Look at the creation. Look at this world. People get so hung up on everything that's happening in the world today, talking about the world's dying, the world's falling to pieces, the world's broken. Yes, this world's been broken forever, right? It's broken. It'll be broken until Jesus comes back. But that doesn't, that's okay, because our strength is not in this world. Our strength is in God, who is on the inside of us. Amen? And we're called to uh, change the world, to impact the world. But it starts, if you're going to understand the victory, that we have in Jesus, then you better understand what the blood paid for. What, not just the blood. What happened on the cross, that sacrifice. Now, 1 Peter 2.24, it starts right there. He says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Now, everybody most often hang, hangs on to that last part of, part of that verse where it talks about how he, he bore those stripes that he bore, all right, paid the price for our healing. Well, you've got to understand, what does that even mean? 
What that means is when Jesus went to the cross, he was our substitute. In other words, what happened to him is what we deserved. Every one of us is what we deserved. But God said, no, wait a minute. I love you. You need a way out of this. I'm going to make a way for that. And that way is Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to send him to earth. He's going to be your example. He's going to show you how to live. He's going to show you how to pray. He's going to show you how to heal the sick. He's going to show you how to cast out demons. He's going to show you how to use my word, tap into my power. He's going to be your example for all of that. And then when Jesus left, he said, guess what, guys? Now I've got to go. I've got to go. I can't stay with you. Because if I don't go, then my, my coming down here, it, it, does, it means nothing. It's, dull and vo- it's null and void. But i got to go. But don't you worry. I'm going to send you somebody to help you. And that's called the Holy Spirit. He's going to empower you. He's going to comfort you. He's going to lead you. And he's going to guide you to walk through this whole process, right, as you're on this earth. And so there had to be a price paid for sin. And that's where Jesus came into the picture. He became our substitute. Our substitute. That means He took our place. And that means that God took all of the sin, all of the sickness, all of the disease, all of the suffering, all of the pain, all of the perversion, all of the addictions, all of the struggles and the problems of the world. He poured all of that on His only Son. Now, I encourage you to do a study on this because when you really study this, guys, and you look at all of the writings from the day and the scribes and all and all of what they've obtained and they understand that, that when all of this went on Jesus, he was a natural man. And when he was after the crucifixion, I know we've all seen the passion, and that just barely touched the beating. We, we were so focused on the beating and the physical things that happened to him because of the beating. But when you study this, they said that when Jesus, when they went to get Jesus' body, it was unrecognizable as a human. All of that, can you imagine, all the deformity, all of that was on him. He bore that. And and it didn't just stop there. After all of that, remember Mark 15, 34, what was it? Jesus says, God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? People get hung up. What does that mean? What does that mean? God, right then, forsook his only son. Now, why did he do that? Because he was our substitute, and that's what we deserved. So God turned his back on his only son right there, right there. Glory to God. And see, Jesus took that, but he took that and he carried that to the grave, and he defeated the enemy, and when he defeated the devil, he was risen again, glory to God, that defeated the devil, glory to God, and that put us back in our right place of standing with God, in our place of dominion on this earth. Because remember, when God created the earth, Adam had dominion. Man had dominion. We lost the dominion when he gave it over to Satan. But God says, ah, he's smart. 
He says, I got a way and we're going to fix this back. We're going to put you guys back in your rightful place of authority over the things of this earth. And that's what Jesus did. It's going to happen through that sacrifice, that substitute. And that's how you and every believer that believes in Jesus Christ and has him as their Lord and Savior can stand and speak authoritatively and do exactly what the Word of God says when it says to resist the devil and he will flee. Come on. You have that authority. That's how you can claim that you're not going to come out, be taken out by a sickness. You're not going to be taken out by an accident. That should be a confession you make over your life every single day. Sometimes I do it multiple times a day. Whenever, especially when I feel a sickness come on. See, too many, too many times people feel a sickness come on. And I'm just going to use that as an example. But people are too quick to identify with it. Yeah. What does that mean? That means they, they start speaking it. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. I think I've got a cold. I think I've got a fever. Oh, gosh. Let me, let me get on Facebook. Everybody pray for me. I have a fever. What? And you get oh, emojis. You know, somebody's watching the ball game. Emojis, you know. Like that. No. I mean, you're identified. Now it's your pet. When that sickness starts coming on you and you feel it coming, start speaking authoritatively. Sickness, you have no place in this body. Does the symptoms immediately remove? Not always. Healing is a process. Right? And you stop speaking on those things. Don't take ownership of them. And that goes for a lot of things in your life. See, people are held back by the words of their mouth. And Austin's going to be doing an amazing story Wednesday night. On that, so I won't get into all of that, but glory to God. Be careful what you're speaking. Don't take ownership of mess that you don't need to take ownership of. I mean, too many people are, you know, that goes back to why people are hung up on, uh, on, on the brokenness of the world and the problems of the world. And listen, I know this, there's problems. There's problems today just like there was 30 years ago. But guess what? God put you here today because you can handle these problems. You can overcome these problems. He didn't put you here 30 years ago. Right? Same problems, different techniques. Right? The devil's just trying different strategies to bring them out there. But be careful what you're speaking. Idle words. I know it sounds ridiculous, guys, but you get what you speak. You believe what you speak and what you believe you're bringing on yourself by faith. That's faith. Be careful what you speak. People are so... Huh? All right, I won't stay on that. But listen, we're talking about the victory in Jesus, but that's very important. Very, very important. But he didn't stop there. Look with me at Galatians 3. What is it? We're talking about what Jesus did for us on the cross. Galatians 3. I'm going to read this out of the NIV. Beginning in verse, I think it's the 12, 13. 13. 13. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole or hung on a tree. All right? I think the King James says it that way. It says, verse 14, it says, He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Guys, what the, Jesus being our substitute and Jesus dying on that cross, what did it do? Another thing that it, He redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now, I know we hear that a lot. Oh, I'm redeemed, I'm redeemed. But do you understand what that means? Well, we know the law was in the Old Testament. 
The law was all the rules. I mean, there was like 400 rules. I don't remember how many there was. There was a lot of rules that you had to live according to and live up to. And then man was involved in this, adding rules. And God was like, you're never going to be able to live up to all these rules. But they were rules, and that was the law. And And if you lived according to the law, you were living according to God. But if you didn't live according to the law, there was a curse or a punishment. Amen? There was a punishment. Now, the punishment for disobeying and the punishment for not following the law, we saw that in three ways. And that was poverty, sickness, and spiritual death. Poverty, sickness, and spiritual death. Why is that significant? Well, if you was living in that time and you saw those things in someone's life, then you knew they were not living according to the law. They were not living according to God. So what does that mean? But what does that mean? Jesus redeemed us from those things, right? He redeemed. And because of that, each and every one of us that has accepted Jesus and understood what his sacrifice meant knows that now you are redeemed from sickness, from poverty, and from spiritual death. What does that mean? That means you don't have to see that in your life if you don't want to, right? Remember, God gave us free will to choose. So you can choose to yield to the ways of the world and believe the way the world thinks, or you can choose to yield to the Word and believe how the Word, what the Word says, right? But the Word says you're redeemed. See, we're in a fight. The, Timothy says we're in the good fight of faith. What is the good fight of faith? Guys, you're not fighting from a position of trying to make God do something for you. He's already done it. That was Jesus coming to the cross. So what Jesus said, it is finished. It's done. Now all we got to do is to walk in the light of that. You are praying and you're in the fight of faith. Not praying, you're in the fight of faith from a position of fighting the temptation to quit. Fighting the temptation of the devil coming on you. Fighting to believe the way the world believes. Because let me tell you something. When you start believing the way the world believes, which wants you to believe contrary to the Word of God, guess what? Now God's out of the equation. Right? God's out of the equation. You're fighting from a position of authority, not of efficient, of a, from a position of begging God to do something for you. It's been done. Well, now you walk that out. Now, how do you walk that out? By faith. By believing it. Faith is believing God's Word is 100% true, and if He says you're healed, then walk like you're healed. It doesn't mean that you don't deal with consequences and circumstances and symptoms. And, but listen, deal with them correctly. Don't speak those things into existence when they come onto your body. Do what the Word of God says. Resist the devil. Rebuke them. And don't speak on them, but speak the Word of God. Use the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God in Ephesians. Come on, it's very important. You've been redeemed. Been redeemed. And let me, look with me at First John. We're talking about victory in Jesus, and I'm pointing out the things that, that Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross, what He paid for. What exactly did He do? What did it, what did it do for us? Look with me in verse 8. Now, this is a big one. 1 John 3, verse 8. This is a big one right here. When I saw it, when I, I've read this many times. You know, it's how the Holy Spirit brings revelation to you. You can read the same scripture a thousand times and get something different out of it. 
And I've read it and read it and read it and read it. And, you know, it, got, it kind of gave me goosebumps when I read this. But then when I was putting this together, God dropped it on my heart. And I went back to it and I thought, oh, my gosh. Because this is powerful right here. When you, when you study this scripture out and you break it down in the context of what's happening and what's actually being said here, this is powerful. It says, right here, I'm going to read it out of the King James first. He says, he that commits sin is of the devil. For the devil sins from, has been sinning from the beginning. This is it. For the, this purpose, because of this, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Destroy the works. Now just let that sink in a minute. That means Jesus was sent here to do a lot for us. See, we're not, he's not, yes, it was to save us. And that's where everybody gets hung up and they leave it right there. And they forget about everything else he did for us. I mean, when you understand what all he did and you start walking in the light of it, you can be bold. You can tell the sa- Satan to get away from your family, get away from your bank account, get away from your body, get away from your job. That's where the boldness comes from. Because you're speaking that from a place of authority because you understand who you are in Christ. Because that puts you back in your rightful standing. Glory to God. And he was sent to destroy the works of the devil. I'm going to read that out of the Passion. It says, this is so great. It says, but the one who indulges in a sinful life is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. But the reason the Son of God was revealed was to undo and destroy the works of the devil. What, the context of what that is coming from is all leading back to that word right there, undo. Jesus came. God sent Jesus to be our substitute, to shed his blood on that cross, to take our sins, to take our sickness. He did all of that to undo everything that the devil did in the garden. To undo it. God, oh my gosh, glory to God destroy the works. Now we know the works of the devil. John 10.10 tells us that the works of the devil is to steal, kill, and destroy. But if you keep reading there, what is it that Jesus says? I have come so that you can have life and life more abundant. Now see, life, just having life will be enough. And God, he doesn't want you just having life. He wants you to have an abundant life would be a good, Right? But God said, Jesus says he wants you to have a more than abundant life. If you're not living the more than abundant life, then you need to get clarity on what Jesus did for you on the cross. Glory to Because that's where the victory is. <laughs> Glory to God. We can see through all of well, I hope you can see through all of this, Jesus, when he walked the earth as a man, God sent him here with a reason, with a purpose. He sent him here to be our example, to show us how to live, to show us what, us do, what, what we should be doing. Are, just ask yourself, am I doing that? Am I praying for people as God leads me? Am I listening to God? Am I, am I, do, am I, am I, am I after a religion or are you after a relationship? Because, see, we know Christianity is not about religion. It's not, see, religion's man's version of all of this. Christianity is about a relationship with you and, you and, you and Jesus, right? Yeah. Glory to God. But we can see through all of that, Jesus came as a man. He did his part, came with a purpose. He, was, he, he bore our sins. He bore our sicknesses. He, he took all of that. He took a horrible beating. He was buried. He defeated the devil. And he was rose again. Glory to God. And he did all of that 
to make the devil completely void. So you get, that's the simple, that's the simple, to undo the works of the devil. To undo the work. Guys, Jesus didn't come to just patch us up. And to make us little fixed up little Christians. No. And see, too many people get hung on, on that. He came to, to destroy the works of the devil. He did come to fix us. Right? Because we know that what does 2 Corinthians tells us that when you come to Christ, you are a new creature. New creature. New, not patched up, not just barely getting by and get away. No, you're a new creature. Believe it by faith. Now receive it. Now walk in the light of it. Be bold. Too many people. There's a lot of there's a lot of Christians that they need to shift their adjust their attitude a little bit. I'm trying to be, trying not to say that so harshly. Okay, I'll say it. We need some some of us Christians need an attitude adjustment. All right, we do. Because there's a lot of Christians walking around and all they want to talk about is the broken world. My broken life. This world's broken and it has broken me. This world's been broken since the devil come on the scene. But see, their focus is all on the world and not on God. This world has just made me, I hear it, made me who I am. I can't do anything in life because it's just the way the world made me. It's all I'm ever going to be. You're just going to have to deal with it. You're just going to have to get over it. No, they need to get over it. And they need to get a revelation of who they are. Because I'm going to tell you something. When you, when you don't have that revelation of who you are in Christ, and when you have an attitude of brokenness and an attitude of defeat, come on, what you're doing is you're, you're belittling the work of redemption on the cross. I mean, essentially, you're taking Jesus and, boop, I don't need what's there, slapping him in the face. Because he did that horrible stuff to put you in the rightful place, not only with God, to give you eternity in heaven, but to put you in place of dominion and authority that you should be bold enough to walk in and to do that to fulfill the plan He has for your life, to reach the lost people. Guys, the whole reason Jesus manifested on this earth was to undo everything. That the devil did in the garden. It's done. It's finished. Are you walking in the light of it or are you too focused on the world? See, and it goes back to the words you speak. I'm trying not to get into your message there, son, but you got to be careful what you speak. See, people get so hung up on on what they're speaking and they, 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 they speak things over their life, especially when it comes to their past. Well, I just, you just don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've been through. Well, nobody does. It doesn't matter. You see, you see, you got to decide for yourself. You got to determine for yourself. Was it greater that the devil took advantage of Adam, or what the devil did in the garden, or was it greater what Jesus did on the cross? Because once you settle that in your heart and you believe it, then you can't you can't give the devil the glory. You're too busy over here being bold about understanding who you are and what you have is yours. Walking in the light of it, speaking that way. Being the light, allowing your light to shine. Glory to God. Because you're not a patched up, fixed up Christian. Glory to God. Because that's how you can be bold. Be bold and resist the devil and use the sword of the Spirit. And guys, I'm going to tell you something. You're not made up of what this world makes you. You know, a lot of people get hung up on that. You can be anything you want to be, right? As long as, as, long as you're, 
you're, you're, you're in line with God and it has to do with what he's calling you to do, you can do it. You're not doing it in your strength anyway. You're doing it through his strength, right? But see, too many people get holed up on that. But they lose the sight of the fact. It's because they're, they're, they're so focused on what, they, what, what, they, the, what the world says about them instead of understanding, hey, I've been made new. You may have had a horrible childhood, a horrible time. Some of us have, right? Now, you've got a choice to make. Are you going to wallow in that self-pity? And I'm not belittling what anybody's been through. Don't misunderstand me now. I don't want any emails, but I'm not belittling that. But you've got a choice. How are you going to respond? Do you really believe what Jesus did for you? If you did, then you, you cannot help but walk in the, in the light and the authority that God has set you into. Glory to God. Because when you understand that, when you, oh, glory to God, you can't do it. You've got to start living as the new creation that God has called you to be. And when you settle, when you get that in your heart, always remember the enemy's right there to steal it from you. Now, how does he steal? He gets in your head. He's a master deceiver. We know that, right? He comes to deceive, to divide, to, to destroy, to kill. But he, he steals things from you by getting in your head and getting you convinced to believe his lies, which are contrary to the Word of God, instead of believing and speaking the Word of God. Because I'm going to tell you something. When you speak this and when you believe this, and I don't care what comes against you, you will overcome. It doesn't mean you don't have to deal with it, right? It makes it easy, though. I can tell you that. It makes it a lot easier. Glory to God. But see, you can't allow him to get in your head. You can't. When he starts getting in there, this is why, let me stop for a minute. This is why you have to uh, have your belief system established on the Word of God. And when when the enemy tries to get in your head, which he's gotten in a lot of people's heads today because he knows his time is short, and he doesn't want us believing this Word because when we believe his Word, God's Word, and when we speak God's Word, and we understand the authority that we have over him, and it's just as simple as resisting him. Come on, and walk. the devil knows that. If you understand that, now you've, you're, you have dominance over him. And he doesn't want you to do, have that dominance. So he gets in there and he tries to play games with your mind. And people allow him to get in there and allow them to start questioning what they believe. That's why you've got to establish what you believe on the Word of God. And don't you move. Don't you move. I don't care who comes up with a new wind of doctrine to try to shift you out of what the Word of God says. You stick to the truth. Don't, well, don't ever start going, well, wait a minute. Maybe that pastor was wrong. Now, I'm not saying you don't hold me accountable. But what I'm saying is, is don't you ever allow yourself to get to a place where you're questioning what your God-Bible-formed beliefs, right? Because the enemy's trying to change everybody's mind right now. He's trying to convince this world that we don't need God. He's trying to convince this world that, that God doesn't exist. Trying to forget, convince this world there is no such thing as truth. Trying, he's trying to do so many things to divide, to deceive, divide, to destroy. Amen? Glory to God. You've got to remember something. Are you speaking the lies of the devil or are you speaking God's word in faith? That's it. It's very simple. And is it possible to have a horrible childhood or maybe a horrible teenage year and yet people look at you today and never know you went through it? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's up to you. Yes. How do you respond? You know, it's funny how when you look at the world system, 
to fix emotional problems. I'm going to get on a little soapbox here. And I'm not anti-psychologist, right? But there's not enough Christian psychologists. Because look at the world system. The world system is you need to sit down, you need to just talk about everything you've ever went through. Bring up everything that you ever, from the far back as you can remember, right? And bring all that up. Now tell me all about it. What are you doing? You're speaking to it. You're speaking these, you're identifying with those things. This is where people end up getting stuck on believing they are what the world made them, right? Now this is the world system. That's supposed to fix everything. How's that done? Hasn't done very well. But God's system is, is that you understand who you are. Because let me tell you something, you're made a new creation when you come to Christ. That means all of that is passed away. You've got to learn to let it go and don't bring it back up by talking about it. You're giving that place, you're giving it place in your life and you're identifying with it. Now it's yours, you're still holding on to it. Amen? Guys, you can have a harsh childhood, a hard teenage years. And, and, and people look at you today and never know it. When you have a revelation of the fact of what Jesus came to this earth to undo the works of the devil, to destroy the works of the devil. You can't. You have no idea what the person sitting next to you has been through. I don't know if you're married, you do, but I'm talking about just looking around the room. You have no idea. You have no idea of their childhood. Know how, how hard it was. And I'm not belittling what people have been through. Please don't misunderstand me because I, mine wasn't great. It wasn't great. But I'm not hung up on that. I understand who I am. I'm a new creature. I don't have to. And see, I'm fighting a good fight of faith. I'm not fighting a fight to beg God to do something for me. He's done it. I'm fighting to resist the temptation to fall back into the lies the devil wants me to believe about who I was when I was a teenager or when I was a child. I'm, I'm fighting the temptation to fall into the, well, the belief system of the world. I'm fighting and to resist Him. I'm not fighting or begging God to do something for me because He did it by sending His Son, Jesus. All right? And all you've got to do is remind yourself that Jesus paid a greater price on that cross than the works of Satan. Remind yourself. See, we've got to get to a place, guys, and I'm closing with this. We've got to get to a place where we learn to speak as, we under, speak as if we understand the redemptive realities that we should be living in. And we had a great class. Did y'all have redemptive realities? At Raymond, when I went through, man, that was a powerful class. I was looking at my notes. They're saying, man, I love that class. But we should be. In other words, that means we need to be speaking and living according to what the, 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 the fact of what Jesus redeemed us from, what he did on that cross for us. Because let me tell you something. If we're going to believe what the Word of God says, then we need to know what Jesus did for us. And so we're going to go back to Scripture. So, so the question is, is Jesus... Let me ask you, Jesus wasn't made sin so that we could be sin, so we could live in sin, did he? No, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He was made sin so that we could become righteous, yeah. right? Now, wait a minute. Was he made sick? Because remember, he bore this, our, sins, our sins and sickness on the cross. Was he made sick so that we could live sick? Well, wait a minute. First Peter tells us that by his stripes, you were healed, past tense. It's done. It's done. So... You shouldn't have to deal with sin or you shouldn't have to deal with sickness unless you choose to. You can overcome it. 
You can, there's not an addiction. There's not anything that you can't overcome. But let me tell you this. It works for money, too. Now, I know that's a lot of things people don't want. Oh, prosperity don't belong in the church. Listen, prosperity is nothing more than an opportunity for you to bless somebody else. God wants you blessed to be a blessing. And anybody that tells you that, they are mistaken. Glory to God. But it works because Jesus wasn't made poor so that we can be poor. Not according to 2 Corinthians 8 9. It says, through his poverty, we are made rich. Remember that. That's, in a nutshell, that's what he did for us on the cross right there. I mean, Jesus has, think about what he's done. He's made us holy. He's made us righteous. He's made us healed. He's made us, he's made us rich. Glory. I mean, how great is it to be a child of God? I mean, that should make you have goosebumps, bumps, and want to run to the streets to start sharing Jesus with somebody. A co-worker, a family member, whoever it may be, guys. I never lose sight of what Jesus did on the cross for us. Amen? Let's pray.